755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic. And I am on... I'm sleep deprived right now after flying back from Philly at 5.30 this morning. <laughs> I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. What's up, Eric? I've been sleep like deprived for like you. seven years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like you and all your youngins, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, your brain just doesn't work. It's, I think it's, I always pay attention when guys have their first kid, how that next year of their career goes. <laughs> it takes a It takes a good wife to... A tough wife to just let you get your sleep. Mine was really good at it when I was playing, but some guys, it's like I'd hear they're they're up nursing in the middle of the night and they got a game tomorrow. I'm like, man, good luck. Yeah, yeah that's rough. We see it, man. We see it all the time. Different guys react different ways. Yeah. Um. Well, kind of a strange series in uh, Philly. Kind of a strange series. The Braves lose two out of three, the first and last games there. The series finale loss should not be surprising because the Braves have this inexplicable thing going right now with, with series finales. They've, they've lost eight of nine series finales since, like, late June. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Or late May, I mean, rather. I mean, it's it's so weird. There's that one year we couldn't win on Mondays. Do you remember that we hadn't won a, one on a Monday until yeah. like yeah, I do middle of August? But this is uh, kind of goes hand in hand with the day game thing, which they haven't been good in day games this year. And most of those series finales are day games. So it just seems like we see the same game in most of these now. They come out, and unfortunately, Ian Anderson's pitched a lot of them too, several of them. They come out, they give up a bunch of runs in early, and then it's just kind of listless the rest of the way. And it either, you know, it's kind of even the rest of the way, but they're down five runs. And it can't put together any offense. So that's what we had yesterday. Charlie, Charlie, man, was cruising along. He was really pitching well until the yeah. fifth inning. I mean, he faced like two over the minimum, something like that. Not more than four in any inning. I mean, he was pitching fine. And then the, everything just came apart in the fifth inning. He had a throwing error on a pickoff play that he admonished himself for. Cano had a terrible error on a routine, pretty routine play. It was bad. Uh, Charlie had a leadoff walk. I mean, it was just a lot of mistakes and compounded everything. Uh, so four batters in, I mean, it was like the inning was already falling apart and it gives up five runs in that inning. And uh, that was it. They couldn't come back from it because they didn't have a runner in scoring position all day. They got their two runs Man. on a single followed directly by Matt Olson's two-run homer. So they never had a runner in scoring position. You don't see that very often. From the it's hard to do. I mean, especially a good team, a good facing, team like this facing Kyle Gibson. Yeah, I mean, you weren't facing you know Nola or or Wheeler. It's baseball. So, yeah, it's baseball. I think they're just going through that period right now. I mean, you won. It was almost inevitable. It's hard to look at it that way, but it was almost inevitable when you had a run that starts on June first and. Through the end of or through the middle of July, you're the you're the hottest team in baseball until a week ago, till that Mets series a week and a half ago, they were the hottest team or whatever it was two weeks ago, week and a half ago, they were the hottest team in baseball. Yeah, and I mean you're not going to win 150 games, and that's kind of how they were playing like 131 pace for a while. Yeah, right. 
and the Mets took two out of three from them, and that started a stretch now where they've gone seven and six. You know, not bad. I mean, the the Yankees have lost ten of the last fifteen games, and just got swept yeah. two by the Mets. So you have to keep it in perspective. But uh, you can afford Braves, seven and six. You just can't afford you know, like one and eleven. You know, those that's when the Mets will pick up a ton of games on you. Right. There's just going to be game swings. You know, you lose one or two games on them, and you pick a couple up. I mean, there's they're still right there. And you can make it up very quickly coming up with that five games in four days in New York. Yep. A week from now. Yeah. So they'll have their chance. And I got a chance this weekend with the Diamondbacks in town. I mean, realistically, anything less than two out of three is a big disappointment, but they should sweep these guys. I mean, it's hard to sweep anybody, but three games against the Diamondbacks, they should probably sweep the Diamondbacks. But, you know. Diamondbacks have beat some people too. So, I mean, they just another, swept the Giants, I think. Hey, how about, uh, how about the, uh, the Dodgers, by the way? Just when you think the Dodgers are putting it all together, they get swept by the Nationals. When yeah. the Braves were in Washington, I thought this Nationals team is almost as bad as Oakland. It's you just know? kind of one of those things where, like, I mean, you can roll out, there's teams trying to lose and they still win 70 games. I said baseball's just yeah, you know baseball's just like that. That's why you can't have a playoff set up like the NFL because the, yeah, the best team can lose to the worst team, and it happens yeah. a ton in baseball. There's just bounces go your way, a starter gets hot, lineup puts it together. So much of it's timing, you know, when your lineup gets their hits, you could spread them out over nine or have a big inning and win a game. That's shocking it's, to me, though. The Nationals could go out to Dodger Stadium in the state that they're in right now with the Soto stuff hanging over them. You know, go out to Dodger Stadium and take and sweep a series. I feel like a lot of times there's teams that have that tendency to play to their opponent's level. Yeah. You know, and and it's yeah. easy to you don't ever want to admit them. it or say it, but a team comes into town and you're like, we got a break. You know, especially if you just played a really good team like the Mets right. or something like that, and this other team comes in, the Marlins roll into town. This this would happen when I was playing for the Braves. A team like the Marlins would come into town, and we'd yeah. battle our asses off with, against them and, you know, split. Yeah. And then you just played the Phillies who you were chasing and had this great series, took two out of three or swept yeah. them. It's kind of like you just let your guard down. And it would happen to me a ton as a pitcher. You know, you'd throw me into a game, bases loaded in Philly. I cannot afford to give up a run. And I'd find a way to weasel my way out of it. And then you bring me in up six against the Marlins, the next homestand. Yeah. And I give up a four spot. Because I just, I came in the game asleep. You know, I came into it just taking it for granted, thinking, all right, I got seven, eight, nine for the Marlins. Next thing you know, you walk a guy, give up a bloop single. And now you're, now you're fighting, but your focus isn't there. I think teams have a tendency to do that against lesser teams, just thinking where the Dodgers will just roll them and kind of expecting their teammates to pick up the slack. And the Dodgers have done that this year against the Pirates. They got swept by the Pirates. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, now add the Nationals to that list. So, yeah, it's kind of strange, man. Um, but, you know, the Mets have just reminded us again with beating the Yankees twice. That, you know, they're not going anywhere. I mean, the Braves are no. going to have to beat them because they're not going to beat themselves. I was really hoping. Scherzer's yeah. been dynamite since he got back. Yeah. I mean, it, I figured they win the Scherzer game, but I was really hoping to see that, you know, the Yankees kind of put a whooping on them just to – just to see that, you know, like the big games, I'd like them to come up short and they showed up to play. Yeah. Um, Scherzer, handled, Scherzer handled that lineup last night with ease, man. I mean, yeah, he's so he's so good right now. Coming back from the I.L. fresh, 
he is rough right now. Yeah, he was, I don't know what the status is with the Grom. I think he's getting closer and closer, but we've been here now for a little bit. Next one's in the big leagues. Yep. He's done. He made his last rehab start yesterday. You so know you don't deep. Drew Waters took <laughs> him deep. Three Got run him. homer. Yep. Three run Jimmy Jack by Drew Waters. DeGrom gave up two homers that inning. Yep. I mean, How that's the that same happen, thing. Man? Well, because it's a rehab start. Well, He's going to get a – it doesn't matter how long you've been playing. Like, when you you pitch in those games, when he comes back up to the big leagues, yeah, there's going to be that adrenaline rush, and it's going to be brand new again and exciting for him. Yeah. Yeah, obviously he's been rehabbing long enough now where he's just kind of going, all right, let's just get yeah. this over with. Especially if you feel ready. You know, if he yeah, felt ready two sure. starts ago and he had to go make two more AAA starts and he's yeah. like, you know, maybe just building up the pitch count or whatever, but you kind of – you're ready for the ready for the show at that point. And, well, as Velo was dipping in the mid-90s, they said, so. Yeah. You know, make I, a I, I'm going to guess it's not going to be there when he steps on the big league field. Yeah. He'll be 99. So, um, I think that means that Braves are going to fight if surely face him because they're playing him five times in four days. So, yeah. um, one thing that happened, uh, I don't know if you saw that thing that I had the other day, but uh, Mueller broke a hand in his broke a hand in his non pitching hand, that. broke a bone in his non pitching hand on a comebacker. Man, him and Soroka with the comebackers, dude, they're on, in friendly fire, man. But uh, they're trying to fit him for a splint so he can keep pitching. Yeah. And it's kind of important because both they're going to need him and he's a trade ship. So he Did needs they say to get where back. It was, it was just a bone in the hand. They didn't say like finger, pinky. No, thing. I asked Alex. I, Alex, I had to ask him why he hadn't pitched in a while. And he said he broke a bone. I mean, already got hit in, in hand. Then I asked him, is it broken? He said, yeah. So I don't know where. But, I mean, if it's on his glove hand – you got to figure it's above, you know, the right the spot where it wouldn't have any leather guarding it probably. Yeah, I mean, maybe got hit before he could turn his hand over or caught right. it deep in here. Yeah. I, I'd pitch with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The I hard think part so. is he's not going to be able to work out. You know, right. I mean, I think that's a big part of his routine. He's not going to be able yeah. to lift and do all that other stuff with the hand that keeps him feeling good. But you can throw with it. Right. But he needs to get back out there if, if they are going to use him as a trade chip. And also, they were going to do. If they still had him, they were going to need him to pitch one of those games probably against the Mets. But unless he's a – they'll just use a uh, opener probably now. Um, so, yeah, I, I haven't seen their notes today, but he wasn't – as of yesterday, still wasn't listed in their probables. They had a TBD coming up in about four days. So, Gwinnett, that is. So, but we'll see. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The trade deadline is kind of staring down at us now. It's coming Tuesday, and the Braves are going to be—they're going to make a move or two. They—they got to get a left fielder. They're going to find. They're going to get a, a right-handed hitter of some kind. Uh, I know initially some people connected them with Ben Attendee, but that never made sense. We talked about that last time. He's left-handed, so and they want to—they want to get Eddie Rosario more abs, you know, not yeah. less. Yeah. So the only way that would have made sense, and it's what I wrote the other day, is if you were basically saying. Since Rosario signed a two-year deal, we're looking for next year. But that's not the case. I mean, Rosario had two hits yesterday. He's coming around. It's it's slow, but surely. And so that didn't make any sense to bring in another left-handed hitter. Switch hitter, yeah, you could do that. Ian Happ would be a great fit yeah. if you could get him. But a lot of people want him because he's playing. He's hitting really well this year. So, But he'd be a nice one. Yeah, you could use a ratty power hitter. Um, I haven't looked at how Yates is throwing in his rehab games, but I mean, he's going to, he's going to be helpful for the pen, even just, you know, the experience and he's not going to come up and be scared. Um, Good. They really like what they've seen from him so far. In fact, that's kind of lessened the need, I think, in their view for a, for a pen. What's his timeline? Well, he uh, pitched last night in AAA. That was his fourth. Oh, so he's close. Yeah. Yeah, because they wanted to, you know, obviously see where he was before the trade deadline so they'd know whether they needed to get another guy or have a better idea at least. So I would think within the next week to two weeks tops. If he's pitched four games in AAA. No, no, no. Uh, His first in AAA. Oh, okay, okay. His fourth overall. Yeah, probably three or four in AAA. And then, I mean, at that point, you're just burning innings as a reliever. Once you get to AAA, you're usually really, really close. You know, you kind of do all the garbage appearances and easy stuff down in rookie ball and then climb. But once you make three or four in AAA, you're usually ready. They might want them to go back-to-back because it's hard to have a guy yeah. in the pen you're not going to be able to use back-to-back days. But otherwise, he's – yeah, that's like a 10-day, 10, 10 more days. He had uh, one in rookie ball and two in double-A and then uh, – and then moved up to AAA to make his appearance last night. And I'm just looking at it right now to see what he did. Okay, it was last night. Uh, gave up one hit, had one strikeout. So he is uh, – he's had four appearances. Strikeouts were two, 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 and one. He's had seven strikeouts and one you lo- the line you love to see, no walks. Oh, that's huge. No walks and three hits. Three hits, no walks, seven strikeouts, four scoreless innings in four appearances. 0.75 whip. I'd say he's ready. Yeah. I think you – I mean, you can never have too really much close. depth, but you can, you can count on that guy. Yeah, and we talked about it last week. I mean, AJ is 
AJ is showing some fatigue. Yeah. And they if they could lessen a burden on him and have him fresh for the stretch drive, and that's all it takes. I mean, just need another arm so that those guys he doesn't have to pitch every other day, you know. And either be you know, I think they were the conscious of that. And then Matzik and Jansen go down, and it's like right. you kind of get put in this position where there's just too many situations pop up where you have to use them. And you're kind of hoping Steven that – started struggling. Yep. You're kind of hoping you get some games that are spread out, but you can't plan on that. Yeah. Yeah, Stevens, they got that little run out of him, which you can get sometimes out of a guy like him. They got a good month and a half out of him. And then he moved into high leverage, and then they started hitting Isn't that a little crazy? bit. There's yeah. so many times where you, you got a guy throwing low leverage situations, and it's like, why don't we have him close? He's <laughs> got a one yeah. one seventy RA, and it's like, yeah, because yeah. he's throwing changeups and ain't nothing games. But then you put him in that, you know, those crunch time situations, and hitters lock in and read that scouting report a little longer. Yeah. There's more pressure on you. I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's it's like a process right. to to get comfortable in those situations too. Right, it's like a reason why he's a journeyman, yeah. you know, that had to pitch in Mexico to get, you know, to get signed by somebody again. I mean, that doesn't you don't just flip a switch and change your status. Uh, he gave them he saved their asses sometimes earlier yeah. this year, so they already got their more than their money's worth out of him. So, but if they can move him back down to a you know. Back of the or the front of the bullpen, if you will, but uh, lesser role. And um, Dylan Lee has moved, has replaced him and more in that high leverage role. And Dylan Lee's for real. I mean, this we saw him last year, saw him pitch a couple times in the postseason, you know, unfortunately thrust into that starting assignment, which he was not ready for in the World Series. Right, but, right. but otherwise, he's looked out, he's looked great this year. I mean, he's fearless, he's got good stuff, big guy, you know, he's got balls. Yeah, and he's been through. He's paid his dues and more. His journey was quite, quite, quite a journey he's had to get here, and uh, he's he's uh, making the most of the opportunity. But he's really saved them. So they keep getting a guy that they can stick in there for a while. And but it would be nice to have a guy for that stretch drive that they're not going to have to wonder how long can he do it. You know, whatever. They, because I'm Colin McHugh. Thank God he came back strong from COVID because. He's been terrific. I mean, he pitched two innings in Philly that were like, wow. He's uh, he's back to uh, to where he was before he went on that COVID list and more. He's really pitching well. But uh, they've only got about, you know, three guys at a time that they really can count on to go out there. And then Will Smith goes out the other day, other day and just looked – he looked bad, man. Couldn't get out of the inning. You know Snit hated doing that. Had to bring Kenley in. Yeah. They, did, they ended up not needing Kenley yesterday – for that day game, but if they would have needed him, he wouldn't have been available after pitching well, yeah. the night before to get Will out of that ninth inning. I mean, this, you know, you get into that role and it's the most frustrating thing because you fully understand your job is to keep the closer out of it. Right. And you have to bring him in when you had a five run lead, six run lead. And it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, I feel for him, you know, I mean, it's tough because when he locked in last year and it's like, you can yeah. forget really quick what a guy can do when they're locked in. But I mean, was he 11 for 11 last year closing in the, in the world series, something like that or in, in the playoffs the in the postseason? And yeah, he, whatever just, it was, he, he didn't blow a save. He was lights out once he got it, but. And it started like two weeks before the end of the season, that game in San Diego where the bases were loaded and he got out of it. Yep. That was like the start of it. And he didn't let up through the world series. 
Yeah. And, you know, Snit knows the value of letting him work his way out of those situations, but you're chasing the Mets now and they're legit and he had to yeah. take them out. Nobody wanted it to unfold like that. And you'd never see Snit do that either unless he has to, to go out yeah. there and really he wasn't going to let it spiral any further. It was a 6-1 lead. He gave up two runs. He's like, that's it. We're not going to lose this game. Yep. It's a and- it's such a tough pill to swallow when you find yourself, you know, after having done so well, you know, for a team. And then all yeah. of a sudden it's like, shit, I can't even be trusted with a six run lead now. Yeah. In the clubhouse afterwards, he looked like it was really, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. Oh, did you happen to see, were you watching the game? Did you uh, see which one yesterday? Did you, I see Kenley, watch. did you see Kenley's walk in? No, when Kenley came in to replace Will Smith. Oh no. Dude. I saw him. I saw Will get taken out. And I just saw that look on his face and, I'm telling you, it was the slowest walk I have ever seen a guy come from the bullpen to the mound. Kenley usually kind of jogs a little bit. When I looked up, he was a little over halfway through the outfield, right? And I don't know when he started walking, if he walked the whole way. When I looked up, he was walking. And he was about halfway to the to the dirt, a little bit further than halfway. And it got slower and slower. And Snit's on the mound. All the players are on the mound. They're waiting for him. He's just <laughs> walking as slow as he could. He was like, to me, it was like, I'm going to do this. But God damn, I wasn't ready to do this, man. Yeah. I was supposed to be off tonight and ready tomorrow. It was the slowest walk, man. It was just like the body language said, damn, man. I do not want to be doing this. And then he got, and then he got close to the mound. He got to the front of the dirt, reaches down, picks up some dirt, picks it up, just something. Snit standing there with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, he got to the top of the mound. Snit's going, here you go. And Snit walks off the field. Snit, that's Snit. I don't know what Snit said, but I saw a couple of coaches were sitting in the thing, and Snit said something to him when he's walking. Made him laugh. The field. I don't know what it was, but it was like. <laughs> But I wish I'd, I asked the guy, I asked the ballet uh, cameraman, I said, do you have a tape of, of Kelly walking in? He goes, no, I looked up. I was, he goes, I was focusing on the, uh, on the dugout and it's net. He goes, but I looked up and he was still not in the dirt. I was like, yeah, it took it forever. And, and I asked Moilo too. And Moilo goes, oh my God, he adjusted everything on the way in. <laughs> it's not as bad as that reliever in Philly having him fixed a mound the other day. Oh Yeah. I mean, you just got to learn to pitch with it. Yeah. If every reliever gets to come in and have them right. fixed the mound up, then it's <laughs> going to be a five-hour game. All right. Uh, Acuna's had a lineup yesterday. Uh, not a surprise uh, in that uh, – only a surprise in that Snit has let him play – you know, try to play his way out of this slump. But at the same time, it was a day game, and you know how Snit likes to give a guy two days off if he can, mental break more than physical, he said. But uh, – Acuna was really showing no signs of breaking out of this thing, and Snit doesn't want it to, you know, get any worse. And because he knows how important this guy is down the stretch run, and they know he knows it's only going to take one or two good games for Acuna yeah. to really start to feel good and get a few hits in a game, but it's just not happening yet. So rather than have him come out and play a twelve thirty game against the Phillies uh, after playing the night before, he gave him a day off, and we'll see. We'll see if it works, but I think it was a good idea. Uh, it moved Michael Harris up to leadoff. Michael Harris had not hit anywhere but ninth except one game he hit eighth. Otherwise, nowhere else. So he moved up to leadoff. He went over, but everybody went over yesterday except Eddie. Eddie had two of the five hits they had, and, and, and Olsen had the only extra base hit. So 
they just weren't feeling it yesterday as a team offensively. But uh, but Acuna, uh, Snit, Snit after the game was talking about, because he doesn't speak before games on those day games like that, but afterwards he was talking about how it was uh, – uh, he said, I wanted to give him a middle break as much as anything. He's been working hard in the, in the cage. He's been addressing things. Hasn't been working out for him consistently, and ju- and I just kind of wanted to give him a mental break more than anything. But he said he's been working with sites and those guys, and they're you know working hard to try to get you know trying to get everything in sync and just get his swing back where he needs it to be. Uh, but it's not like he's not working; he is, and he's just not getting the results. So Snit, rather than having pound against, his head against a wall, you know, get more frustrated, just gave him a day off. So probably a good move, I think. It's the last thing you want to do when you're struggling is take time off. Yeah. But sometimes it's the best thing for you. You know, I mean, you just, if you have created a bad habit. Yeah. And you're not conscious of what that bad habit is, you know, you, every time you swing, you're repeating it and you're just building that muscle memory and like reaffirming that bad habit in your brain. You just keep doing it and, and trying harder to get out of it. I mean, you see so many times you'll see a guy struggling and I mean, you're leaving the field at, 1130 at night after a full workout after the game and everything and you hear this noise coming from the cage yeah and this dude that's struggling is just drenched in sweat hacking away trying to fix his swing hitting off a tee hitting off a coach and then you see another guy getting a slump and they just shrug it off and go home you know they don't it's sometimes you right. just got to clear your head and my point being that sometimes it's got to be forced you know yeah. and it's got to be because you're not going to not prepare and swing and work if you're playing that day but if you got a day off, sometimes you'll just casually just go take a few, you know, keep your body rolling and then let it go. And knowing you're not playing is like the only way you can get a guy to stop working and, and, and clear his head. So it's not sometimes it's just got to be forced. You know, you tell the guy you're not playing tomorrow and they're pissed and they fight you and you just have to say you're not playing. You need a day. Just take it. And it's crazy how many times guys come out of just that forced day off, that forced mental break and turn yeah. things around. So hopefully it works out like that. He had played. He had started uh, twenty-one out of twenty-two games. So I mean, this—it's not like uh, off an injury, off a big, big surgery. Yeah. Um, you know, the only thing that's kind of—I was talking talking to somebody yesterday, and and I said if he if he had had the month that he's had the five when weeks he first that he's came had, back. Yes, I yeah. would have been totally. That would have been normal. I would have been like, this is not surprising. But the weird thing was how great he was playing and then has this. So that's why I know it's not uh, physical. It's not the knee. He's running great. I mean, he's not limping. He's not showing any signs of favoring it. You know, so it's not It's not, It's not. not a health thing. Well, it um, could just be playing. You know, you're, you're rested up when you're – when, well, when you're going through the whole rehab process, it's like you play you play four innings and you de- get a day off. Now we're going to play five. You know, you can't you can't you won't like match that major league workload when you're trying to get a guy healthy, and you bring him back in the first month going through it. You're still pretty rested and fresh, but it, that stuff can catch up to you. You know, sometimes yep. that second month, third month back, more than the first month back, where you're still feeling good and it hasn't caught up with you yet. He was getting some. Some breaks, not as many as they said he was going to get because he was playing so well, but he was getting a day off here, a DH there. You know, he was getting a little time off early. He moved then, the full time outfield a lot faster than they were planning. Yes, he did. Like a month. He was only supposed to do that like last yeah. week. It was supposed to be 12 months from the surgery, yeah. which would have been last week. Yeah. 
So he did that. They moved that timetable up. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe that caught up with him because, uh, you know, he's hit 209 with two homers and a 583 OPS in his last 33 games. Oof. That's not that's, him. That's after hitting 316 with six homers and a 950 OPS in his first 31 games back from the IL. 316 with a 950 OPS, 209 with a 583 OPS. Basically the same number of games, 33 and 31. Yeah, he's not having fun. I mean, you could see it no. on him. You could yeah, see absolutely. this is the first time I've seen yeah, him me, look me like too. he's not enjoying himself. Me too. You know, and it, that'll do it. Struggling does that to anybody. I mean, yeah. baseball's a frustrating game. But I think can, it'd be it'd be great if he had Ozzy out there now with him. You know, yeah. when he is going through this, because that's his you know his best friend on the team. You know, and the guy that he goofs around with so much Keep might be able to. You know, might be able to help him relax a little bit or whatever. But you know, Guillermo Heredia is there, and he he helps. He makes everybody relax. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's hard. To, it's hard to. I think what you said, you know, about how it can kind of catch up with you is probably the case. Um, we just got lulled into thinking, okay, he is Superman. You know, yeah. he doesn't even he doesn't even have any rust. He's just going to come back as the same guy he was before, which he that's what he did for the first thirty one games. But he had a little time off here, there, you know. They eased him back into it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the game's just so hard. You see the best players, guys on, you know, Hall of Famers go through stretches like this all the time yeah. in their career. I mean, it's it's bound to happen to anybody. But Yeah, Freddie know. had some 20-game stretches, you know, oh, Freddie last could look, years here. Freddie yeah. could look so bad. But you knew he was coming out of it. This is the first right. time for me, I bet, that, that Ronald's had to struggle like this. And it's happening yeah. at the major league level. You know, because yeah. when you're as talented as him – you can be off timing wise and have the bat speed to make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit his rookie year. He went through a little bit after, you know, he came up, but other than that, no, I've never seen him struggle for more than like a week. It's important to go through and he's going to come out of it better. Yeah. That's what Snit said. Uh, and it's, it's gotten even worse lately. His last 17 games, 17 games. He hit 186, two doubles, one Homer, four RBIs, 21 strikeouts, 257 slugging percentage and a 526 OPS. 17 games. Yeah. So, <laughs> Sucks to suck. That is not Acuna. Um, Snit said, I think at any point in time, he can get those couple of hits and feel good and then get on a run. He really hasn't done that yet. When he does it, it could be really good because he's going to do it. He's going to yeah. work through this. And like I say, they're working in the cage, doing their thing. It's not happening for him right now, but as long as he allows himself to do it and handles it, he'll come out good at the other end. I mean, we've seen I, – I saw Trout go through a phase where he couldn't hit the high yeah. fastball. You know, yeah. and so that's that's kind of the process. Even when you're as talented as Mike Trout or Acuna or Soto's, Soto hasn't hit the same at times this year. I mean, you just – you go through it and it's like – Yeah, Soto started slow this year. Yeah, it's just it's just part of the process of of the game, you know. It's why it's why everybody says, you know, don't ride the roller coaster. Water will find yeah. its level, and just stay level headed. But that first time you struggle, man, it's like you don't even know who you are. <laughs> you go out there, and yeah, you're hitting the same button, and the you're just not getting the results. And you have to just kind of battle through it and figure out those little things that make you better in the end. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. 
Braves are seven and six in their last thirteen games after going twenty nine and eight from June first through July tenth. Um, like I said, they didn't get a runner in scoring position yesterday in that game and uh, the the day game thing. I, I put some stats here. Um, Charlie, by the way, had only faced two batters over the minimum through four innings yesterday. Two over the minimum through four, and then the first four reached base in the fifth inning on a leadoff walk, single. Error by Cano, another single. Charlie's throwing error mixed in there on the pickoff throw, moved guy first to third. Then you had a sack fly, Schwerber, another walk, a double steal that really ended up hurting him because Real Muto hits a two-run single. So uh, Charlie said, if I pitch my way into the fifth inning and I'm at a good spot, the team's in a good spot, and I go out there and do what I did in the fifth inning today, that's on me. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie said, that's a big deal. I give up five runs in the fifth inning. But then objectively, it was a bad inning, and I could kind of isolate it to that and, and those pitches during that inning. In other words, he was saying that it's terrible, and he cost the team a, a win, a cost the team a game, but he's not going to look at it as it's any bigger than that. You know, it's that game. He cost the team that game, but he didn't think that he pitched, that, that he was you know struggling to find it the whole game or anything. He just thought it was a bad inning, really bad inning. But he took, you know, he's so accountable. The guy yeah. never makes excuses. You know who was the best at that one bad inning was Huddy. Yeah. Huddy would be, you know, like 45 pitches through five innings. You'd have your feet up in the bullpen, and then all of a sudden the sixth inning would hit. Yeah. It's just like laser show. And yeah. all of a sudden you're just rapid firing trying to get hot. You kind of <laughs> learn, to, learn to stay on your toes. but. Charlie's I mean, had those this year, man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've never really gotten to the bottom of of why that why that happens, but there's some guys that just have that tendency for it and you learn over time to recognize it and get out of it. But yeah. <laughs> Huddy was I was always ready when Huddy was pitching. And then sometimes he'd just go eight innings and you're like, Yeah. Pretty easy. crazy pretty crazy stat about the Braves. They're the only team in the majors that hasn't lost three games in a row this year. But not only that, but this is the deepest that any team has gone without losing three in a row in over two decades. Damn. The Seattle Mariners, 2001 Mariners, Kingdom Mariners, they didn't lose yeah, three in a row till their, games. till their 147th game. They lost three in a row, and then they lost four. They lost four straight. They had no streaks over two, and then they lost four straight. But that's the last team to go this deep because the Dodgers had done it in like their 98th through 100th game, and the Braves just went past 98 without doing it. So yeah, that tear they went on is gonna. I mean, it's gonna make up for a lot of a lot yeah. of two in a row, three in a rows. I mean, getting as hot as they did for when they did, it's gonna. Right. That's what's gonna keep them in this thing. Yeah, you can go 500 for a while and and not. Yeah, yeah. it's not a big deal. But the Mets are, you know. They're good. They're really. I hate good. that their closers so good. They got a great <laughs> record, and, uh, and yeah, they got a, they got a couple of studs in the lineup. They got a great closer. They got a couple of studs in the rotation. And they're going to get another one real soon. They got some pesky hitters too, mixed in with yeah. all that power. That that I think that's been the game changer for them. It's oh, just having their leadoff man, McNeil and Nito slapping balls around, and he's old, school. keeping the line moving. Yeah, he's old school. He's uh. He just gets up there, battles, man. But yeah. fouls off about five pitches. Um, but while they've gone deeper than any other than any team with a three game losing streak in in a long time, they've lost three of the last four. 
because they lost that game against the Angels that they should have that series finale against the Angels, and then they lost the first and last games against the Phillies. Kyle Gibson, three relievers, limited them five hits and three walks yesterday. So they're now three games behind the the uh, Mets, and they had gotten it to a half game. Remember, and if the yep. Braves had won that game. On Sunday afternoon, they would have actually been tied for a few hours at least with the Mets. And the Mets ended up winning that night, but they would have, they had it to a half game. And now it's back to three because the Mets just swept the Yankees in two. So you're not going to be able to afford to take your foot off the gas at any point, I, I think, with this Mets team. They're not going to be able to, the Braves aren't going to be able to have a, afford to have a, uh, a five and 15 run or just something like that, or they're going to fall back to seven or eight games behind. Yeah, they're not going to not do anything at the at the trade deadline either. Right, right. But they are they're they're squarely in the lead with the wild card. You know, for that first wild card, and you know, there's going to be three of them. So, I mean, but you you really don't want to have to play that that you want that buy. You want one of those one of those best two records get that buy because if you don't have to play that wild card series, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, at least it's not one game anymore. Right. That was, but at, but at worst, you want to be able to have be one of the top wild card teams and host. If yeah. you're that first wild card team, you'll you get host, all three at home, right? You get all three at home, like the Braves That's had. Huge. Yeah, like they had. Uh, what was that last year? No, two years ago. Yep. When they ended up taking doing it in two. So, but anyway, it's too early to think about that right now. But uh, I mean, they're in good shape. It's just that the Mets, are, you know. You want to win the division, obviously. The Braves aren't in this to win a wild card. You want to no, win the I mean, I look at it like they've been – the Braves have been winning divisions and fighting for divisions. This is their fourth time through it. You know, I mean, they, they know how to do this. They know how to keep yeah, it calm. Won four, and They've won the last four of them, so. The, the Mets are going to feel that pressure down the stretch. No doubt. And, and I mean, until we see DeGrom be healthy yeah. – yeah. That's a big question mark, you know. And Scherzer is as as terrific as he looks right now. He's 38, and we've seen how quickly that can change. I mean, he's one pitch away from from having a side strain or having – he's not like the old Scherzer where he was going to make it through 32 no matter what and throw 200-plus innings. It was really interesting for me to to hear him say, I'm not doing that anymore after last year when he he pitched that game tired against the Braves and gave it up that – He's starting to realize that. So you just look at him and feel like he's just going to power through anything. But at some point, yeah. you realize you're not invisible. Yeah. Verlander looks pretty invincible since he came back from Tommy John, but he's a freak too. So. Yeah. Throwing 99 the other day in the seventh inning. Some guys are just born with that. Yeah. If you could just get them on the field, they could throw 99. He didn't look bad on the red carpet with his – Sidekick, did he? I think he stole her youth, man. <laughs> he's 39 still. <laughs> still. And he's got some kind of magic to him. Uh, they are uh, the Braves 3-3 three three since the All-Star break. Got the weekend series against the D-backs. Then another off day. It's weird because the Braves played. Did you know they played more games, I think, than anybody in the majors first half? Yep. So they have more off days in the second half than like a lot more than the Mets. So they got an off day today. Then they play three against the Diamondbacks. Then they got another off day. Then they got two against the Phillies. Two. Kind of weird. I hate those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're a lot better at home than on the road, though, right? They suck on the road. I mean, you feel like you just unpacked your bag. Yep. They got two against Boston coming up on the road. 
Yeah, those series are tough because, you know, it's all about the travel and you're just trying to cut back on those flights. But you get into there and you, you play the night game. And then the day game. day game the next day. And it's like, I feel like I've been in Boston for 18 minutes. We're already yeah. flying out. Um, so they'll have two against the Phillies at home. And then the five games in four days against the Mets, August 4th through 7th next week. So that's, uh, that's, that's going to be a big – they yeah. need to build a little momentum against the D-backs, make a yeah. little hay, as they say. They got an 18-10 and 10 record since June 25th. But here's that thing I was talking about. In that span, they are 1-8 and eight in series finales. 18-10, and 1-8 and eight in series finales. They've lost every finale except July 10th against the Nationals when they swept the Nationals. And they won that one in 12 innings, four to three. <laughs> Gosh. In their other series finales, going back to June 25th, the other ones, they've lost eight out of nine. They've been outscored 56-21 and given up seven or more runs five times. So you can get some Red Bull flowing through that clubhouse yeah. or something. Yeah, man. Those day games. Um, their only non-finale losses since June 25th in the 18-10 stretch were series openers against the Mets on July 11th and then Monday against the Phillies. Um, they're also 3-9 and nine in rubber games. Again, usually those are series finales, you know, these day game things. 0-4 oh, on the road in those after the one yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I can't even – it's like I said that year that we lost every Monday and then we decided to wear our pants up and started winning on Monday. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, like that. so stupid – it doesn't make any difference, but and that's what the guy said. You know, you ask every one of them, and they're like, if they're even aware of it, they're like, I got no explanation, man. There's no explanation. Austin it's, said that's just one of those things that's happening, but there ain't. I can't explain it. Yeah, I, some of them I don't even think are really Charlie. Well, it really acted like he did not realize it at all. No, that's, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know it unless somebody told me. You know, because right. you're you're just day to day in the season, and then somebody tells you, you know, what's happened in the last three weeks? No, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I remember yesterday. You know, that's it. But you kind of just, I think sometimes it's good, you know, like the, the stupid pants up thing we did or yeah, just to, just to almost kind of hammer it home that we have been sucking in these games and, you know, for whatever reason, right. That we do need to let's lock it in. Cause we keep, we have a tendency to lose these games. So let's at least be aware of it. You do something funny, kind of mix it up and gets the team going. I remember Ben Acre was pissed because he had to order like an extra 30 sets of pants. Cause nobody wore their pants up. Cause otherwise you'd have to roll them up and you look like you're playing in the 1930s. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You can't just roll them up to the knee like we did in little league. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Dansby did the Sage thing last year. Remember after they got uh, yeah. blank, they, they got one hit in a doubleheader against the diamondbacks. The sorry diamondbacks. They got no hit by bum. A mad ball. Yeah, who didn't even want credit for the no hitter? Fake game. <laughs> Dance we took the sage out, and it worked briefly, not for long, but it worked. Little stuff like that, though, just kind of makes yeah. it. Yeah, you know, it just takes the edge off. Uh, so, but the day game thing: fifteen and nineteen in day games, forty-four and twenty-two at night. Okay, fifteen, nineteen. They've lost almost as many day games in 34 games as they've lost in 66 night games. It's crazy because when it, when I was active, you know, I was I love day games. Yeah, I felt like shit, but I always yeah. pitched well, and so going into those games, 
I was almost like I let myself off the hook pressure wise. It's like, oh, it's a day game. I deal in day games. No yeah. rhyme or reason to it, but just that mental, yeah. that mental side of it of knowing things have gone well. There's stadiums like that. There's stadiums where you just feel great pitching and all of a sudden right. your confidence is just through the roof. And there's other stadiums like Baltimore, Miami. I just like, I knew there's like an 80% chance I'd give it up if I pitch in the stadium, even if I feel great. It's just things just don't go well here. And those, those trends kind of build. That's why it's, you do do something and mix it up and, and make the clubhouse aware of it and, and try to make it fun. It's like, Matt, we were talking about ballparks and teams. Matt Olson with the Citizens Bank Park thing is getting ridiculous, man. The guy's played nine games there in his career. Seven homers, two doubles, nine hits, all extra base hits. Yep. Nine, seven homers in like 36 plate appearances. Yeah, and there's there's probably a stadium you can point to that he can't hit in. Right. They've probably yes. got like one homer in 25, 30 games. Yep. Just something about the surroundings and the energy, and then you build a trend, and, and you're aware of it, and – it kind of that stuff gets in your head in a positive or negative way. And it's and it's mostly the day game thing is mostly due to the offense. I mean, the ERA is yeah. a little higher, but the offense has really been decidedly lesser. The uh, puny in day games, 225 team batting average, fifth lowest in the majors. They had only the athletics, Diamondbacks, Angels, Pirates, not good teams. That's compared to 260 average night games, which is third highest in the majors. Yeah. They got a 320 team OBP at night games, 296 in day games. Average nearly a full run higher in night games, which I know might sound insignificant, but over the course of 100 games, when you average a full run more at night, that's, that's a, big a lot. Deal. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. There's something Alex Gonzalez used to rake in day games. I remember BMAC asking him about it and he wouldn't go outside until the game because he didn't want his eyes to adjust to how bright it is and then really? go back inside the dark clubhouse and go back outside. I remember BMAC was at that point where he was struggling. He'll try anything. So he started doing it too. But I mean, you just find these little things that are affecting you and, and try to get to the bottom of why. But most of the time, it's just a flip of a coin. Well, you weren't here when Javi Lopez uh, had his nope. huge year, but did you hear what he did? Uh uh-uh. uh. He stopped taking batting practice. At all outside, right? He'd go to the cage, take however many swings, take a few swings, and smoke a heater. <laughs> Every day. See, that'd be funny if they had a day game and the whole team was sitting on the bench smoking heaters, no BP and he today. Had, <laughs> and he had a huge year. That was the year he had that monster year and got the big contract from Baltimore free agency. Had like 43 home runs. Threatened to set the, set the record. I mean, he was, yeah, he was raking, but he never hit outside. If fans were there to get his autograph or see him BP, they weren't going to see it. <laughs> I know Otani wasn't doing that last year. I don't know if he switched it No, out, yeah, but. he doesn't hit outside either. Freddie didn't hit outside much, but he had outside some. Otani does not. I think for a lot of guys, it's that tendency to want to watch the ball fly. Yeah. You know, I mean, in the cage, you can just work on your swing and – yeah. You can take a good line drive swing. You don't need to see when you hit a ball, whether it got out or not. So then it doesn't right. tempt you to, to go chase yeah. and swing harder. I've heard a lot of guys say that's why they prefer to hit in the cage because they don't they don't want to get focused on if the ball's going out of the park or if it's just a line drive in the gap. And that makes sense for Freddie because Freddie loves to just work on hitting a line drive over the shortstop's head. That's yep. what he and he doesn't want to get out in the cage where everybody's watching him. And sit yep. there hitting, you know, trying to hit <laughs> balls over shortstop. balls over shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> Drove seven hours to watch Freddie Freeman hit BP, and it's just singles to left. 
I watched Justin Turner last year, man, with the Dodgers. I was so impressed by the BP he took. I mean, Chipper used to really I, – I was blown away by Chipper's BP. It was so disciplined. He'd get there. He'd get up there, take a couple of bunts, you know, and then he was hitting those soft swings. Yep. And it just – and like it barely – just like just – Oh, it looked like he wasn't trying. Yeah. Yeah. He would just like take little soft swings and hit one all around the infield, over the infield's heads. Yeah, and and then he he wouldn't really start letting it rip until the last round, but he was so disciplined, and he would just hit shoot there easy swings, you know the chipper easy swing. It just looks like oh, it's guys just out there relaxing. Uh, but Justin Turner last year with the Dodgers uh, or two years ago, I think I think it was last year, he was hitting. I've never seen anybody do what he was doing. He was almost like casting the ball, like almost catching it and lofting little little bloops over the infield in shallow. Right field, yeah. center field, left field. Staying inside it. So much bat control that he was able to kind of catch it, you know, with the height because he's got that uh, he's got that uh, uppercut, you know, the launch angle. He was one of the first guys to do the launch angle thing. But he was almost catching the ball and just kind of – and it was just doing it so much discipline. He wasn't swinging hard at all. It reminded me of Chipper when he was doing it. But uh, then he took – you know, he didn't even let it rip until the last took, – took some big cuts at the end, but – you know, you see the young guys get in there and just hitting, trying to hit home runs from from the first pitch in batting practice every round. Uh, and you can get baited into that, you know. I, I, yeah, everybody's whooping it up, screaming. And here you time. are just dinking balls over shortstop. But, I mean, there's a difference between just going out there and hacking aimlessly and yeah. having a plan and something you want to execute. And, you know, guys know that if I can hit the ball over shortstop, I'm staying through the ball, and this is where I need my swing to be to hit everything. And then you're next to a guy hitting the ball, you know, 60 rows deep in left center. It's like, yeah, it, I mean, everybody's competitive and they, they want that attention and, and they want to feel like the big dog. And then you get baited into it and come out of your swing. Uh, so they got uh, uh, Austin Riley's hitting streak ended yesterday. But God, man, he's been unbelievable. Dude, man, he has. I got to tell you. When he came up as a rookie, he was phenomenal that first 20, 25 games, whatever. And it was like, good Lord, it's not going to last, but this is amazing. But he slumped so bad after that and looked so bad on sliders. He struck out yep. so much. He would look terrible the rest of that year. Then hurt the knee, was left off the uh, postseason roster because when he came back from that knee thing, failed like a few weeks to show he, could, he was ready and it just didn't look good. They didn't put him on the postseason uh, roster. But – to see where he's come from in the last year, because remember how slow he started last year? Yep. Didn't have an extra base hit for like 15 games. We were asking, you know, I remember Bo asking Snit, how long do you, is it just one of those guys you have to stick with him because this is your third baseman? So how long can you afford to go with it? And since like you got to, I mean, that's a, you don't have a choice. I mean, we, we like, we love the guy, but he, we just got to hope he starts hitting. That was like 15 games in in New York. Brumley saw something in his swing against the Yankees. That series, he turned it on, and he has not cooled down yet uh, for more than like a few games. I mean, he's been one of the best two or three hitters in the majors for the past like 175, 180 games. Yeah, I mean, Unbelievable. He's, he's MVP caliber. He, for me, when I saw him, I saw him talking with DeRosa on MLB Network. Just yeah. the way that he was being able to tell you when he missed the ball, you know, what it told him about his swing and how to adjust. And, it, you know, if I if I pop up the ball the other way, that means I'm just diving this little bit. But he wasn't talking like these major flaws. He was talking very, very fine yeah. little details yeah. that the results were telling him. And those are the things you learn, you know, throughout your career. It's like as a pitcher, I learned if the ball's cutting, I'm a little early. You know, I need to stay back. But 
hearing Riley talk that in depth about his swing yeah. and the results and also his approach, I was like, man, I'm going to be shocked if this guy doesn't have a great career. Like this isn't a, it, he was hot at the time, but I was like, this isn't a streak. This is, these are the type of things you hear, you know, like a 10, 15 year vet say in the yeah. clubhouse that a rookie's never thought of. And Austin's two, three years in speaking yeah. like, you know, at chipper depth. He sounded like chipper talking, yeah. breaking down, hitting into and the way you don't hear most guys break it down. Yep. I mean, like even Dero, he was using some terms that Dero had not heard a guy use. I love when that know? happens because Dero locks in on it and wants to know yeah. what it means. And Dero's been talking about that ever since that interview. Yep. And the thing is, Austin, it's so uh, it's kind of surprising because when you first talk to him or you just see interviews with him on TV or whatever, he's got this southern draw slow, you know, and he doesn't use big words and all. He kind of uses the wrong words sometimes. Great guy. But you don't think of him as being real cerebral. But then he breaks down hitting. You realize yep. it's a really sharp guy. Yep. You know, as far as hitting, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's yeah. had some really good hitting coaches, and he has learned all everything they've told him. He remembers it. Brumley, Bobby Mags, Chipper helped him out. Sites, but but uh, Brumley really was his guy for a long time, and you can see that he takes those cues that Brumley gave him that allow him when he has a bad at bat or two to adjust within a game or sometimes within an at bat. Yep. I mean, people tell me that all the time. They're like, man, I thought you were just a dumb meathead, you know, <laughs> being in the weight room with you, watching you yell at a roadies or somebody. And, and then we talk pitching and I'm like, okay, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on there, but it's kind of like, you got to get guys into that position where they're talking about something they're passionate right. about. Right. And some guys just aren't passionate talking about themselves or what happened in the game, you know, but you get them talking hitting and you're like, okay, yeah. there's a lot behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah, and Chipper was like that, you know, for a long time. People just interviewed him and asked him, you know, he wasn't the leader of the team or anything, so they just asked him after a good game, you know, what were you doing on that home run or whatever, you know. It wasn't until late in his career when he became the kind of the spokesman of the team. Yeah. We'd go to him after every series, after every big game, and get kind of him to surmise where the team was. Um, and then you really people really started to understand how really smart this guy yeah. is, you know. Yeah. It's just I never heard it before when he was just this cocky young guy that was just, you know, oh, talking I about I mean, I didn't somebody. know the first two years I was teammates with Chipper. I was just kind of like, I don't really know what's going on with him. Right. You know, it took me like two years to get behind the surface. And then I started getting kind of being part of those hitting conversations and baseball yeah. conversations with him. And it was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> this guy knows baseball like nobody I've ever spoken to. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to Snit about that with BMAC, about talking about BMAC. I was asking Snit if he thought if he thinks BMAC will ever get into coaching or if it's you know, and it's kind of like what we've said. Probably not because he's got the kids; they're young. He loves what he's doing, and you know, I mean, it requires so many hours, and these guys made so much money when they were playing, you know, that it's different nowadays. But you just you you think that you hope that he'll get into some capacity. Which I think BMAC will eventually. Special assistant, I could see him right. doing. I could, honestly, I could see him managing too, but it'd have to be managing. You know, I don't think he's. I don't think he's going to want to be the the fourth guy in the dugout. I think if it was a major, like he's managing, I think yeah, he'd do it. But I can't see that. I just he's um, in this it, game this day. Well, I know he has that bug. You know, I know he watches the game still. I yeah. didn't, even I I talked to him the other day, and we talked like kids baseball. And he's as yeah. passionate about yeah. teaching kids and doing this the right way and, and certain ways to swing and, and making kids better 
I know he has that itch to, he doesn't want to let all his knowledge just right. fade into the darkness. Right. That would you know, be a he, shame, man. It's I, a shame. I think they're trying to get him up, hoping that he'll become involved like with game, like as a kind of get your toe in the water as like game prep with Gwinnett. Yep. Cause that's right. You know, wouldn't have to go very far and all that. And he could really help those guys out, you know? I went and worked so, with a high school kid yesterday and, you know, I've been offered a few different roles like in, with organizations, minor league stuff, but it's like, you know, the pay for those jobs is it's like 50 yeah. grand a year. Yeah. So you tell me I got to move my family to the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. It's like no chance. I'll just stay home and not spend that. Right. But I, I worked with a high school kid yesterday and the kid was telling me, thank you after. And I was like, no, thank, no, thank you. Cause I missed this. You know yeah. I mean? It's really fun to pass your knowledge along. And you say stuff to young guys, even in, at the big league level, but especially high school kids. And you just say these things that you think are basic. Like, yeah. why are you throwing like that? Why are you, why are you doing this with your backside? And they're like, nobody's ever told me that. And that happens in the major leagues too. And that's why it's so important to find a way to get those guys around and have guys be around chipper because they'll break something down in a way that, you yeah. know, a, a young guy has never even thought of. I'm like, I was tell guys all the time. I'm like, you're O2 slider, throw it in the dirt. Like don't miss in the zone under any circumstance. And they're like, Oh, I was just always trying to make it nasty. Yeah. Like, dude, how'd you get to, how are you in the major leagues? And you've never had this thought, but some guys are just so talented. They don't. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if, if they could get him around young guys, especially yeah. catchers calling games and things, they'd see some, some huge benefits. No doubt. man. Yeah. I, those are two minds that I think of that, you don't want to say they're being wasted, but you you would love that, that if they could share their knowledge with some young players, Chipper and B Mac, because those yeah. are two of the sharpest guys I've ever talked to, man. Just they they know yeah. in the whole game. The mm-hmm. whole game. Every every part of it. And it's 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 just a shame that it's a shame to let that go to waste, you know, and, and not to not to pass it on. And and that's kind of the the one thing I think that's changed a lot and missing in the game. So you got a lot of guys that that know the numbers, but it's those little things that somebody yeah. says to you. Like I had Rick Ankiel tell me something on my breaking ball. I rode for a whole year in 2010 and it's just conversation with a guy that's been through it. Yeah. You know, I don't know how he is at breaking down numbers, but he may be a better pitcher in one conversation. But I don't blame guys when, when you made 150, 200 yeah. million dollars, it's hard to say, okay, we're going to pay you this to come out and spend <laughs> four more hours than you did like, as a player. Are you ready to do that? spent that on brunch the other day. Plus, yeah. they got little kids, man. You know, that's Chipper's for me. Got that's little the kids, kicker. and Bmax got little kids. And the Prada's nice thing got for them, kids. the and nice Prada's thing for them is it's local. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They like live local here. guys. But if you live somewhere else and you're talking about, you know, making yeah. what they were, they were making five times that in one paycheck, 10 yeah. times that in a paycheck. And now you're trying to bait them out to, I think right. teams will have to shift and start paying guys like that, you know, significant yeah. money. Well, I think that, I think the, uh, the, the pitching coach that just went, took the LSU job. Yeah. I think that's going to make major league teams start to rethink what are we doing? Yeah. Why? Because to me, it's the most antiquated thing that I just cannot believe hitting and pitching coaches are still paid what they're paid. Yeah. In an era when offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators in college football are literally making $2 million. Yeah. Pitching coaches in the majors are making 250 350 tops. Yeah, that can't. That's crazy. I mean, there's a few exceptions, but most of them are making about that. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's if, insane. You, if you want them to take some, you know, coordinator role or something like that, it's eighty. Yeah, 
You're making like you're you're one of thirty pitching coaches at the highest level of baseball, and you're making 250000 $250, dollars, and you can take a college job making seven fifty. Mm-hmm. That's you, insane. And I'll tell you that too. I mean, that, that's probably the main obstacle. If you if you offer B Mac two million, he'll get off the couch. <laughs> you know? Sure. But I don't. I don't think he's. You gonna pay him two fifty to be a, a, a coach and work? Yeah. All day. Come on. Yeah. Misses so yeah, kids' games. It, it's. I think that's something that there's some low hanging fruit if teams want to pony up. I mean, Chipper was in a great position for him when he was doing that, helping at home on the home games in the afternoon, right up to game time. They already had enough on the coaching staff. They couldn't have him, you know, in the legal, technically in the dugout for the games. But that was perfect for him. Few hours in the afternoon, maybe five hours, six hours. Working with guys, he could still impart a lot of wisdom on them, work with them in a cage, do whatever they wanted, talk to them in a video room. And then this year with the Vax thing, he wasn't able to do it. But uh, that for him is a good job because he can get home and watch the game and be with the wife and kids during the game. Put your kids to bed is a big thing for guys. Right. Take a kid to school in the morning if he wants to, goes to the ballpark at noon. So that that that's a good role for a guy like that if he lives lives in the in the town where the team is while he's got little kids, but Anyway, so uh, so but but Austin's uh, just the numbers on that on that uh, hitting streak, eighteen game streak. He hit eight. He hit four forty four, eight homers, sixteen RBIs, nine oh three slugging percentage in his eighteen game hitting streak. Yeah, and, and he had four he doubles in the first two games against the Phillies. Did there? He's been really good at minimizing, and that goes back to what the type of stuff he was talking about. But he's he's been really good at minimizing his his slumps and his. Yeah. is off weeks or, you know, a bad series or something. He's, he's been seeming to come out and clean it up really quick. As yeah. The last two years, really. Consecutive two double games to start that Philly series. I mean, that gave One the, of them was torched. Yeah. Two of them. He had two of those doubles that Phillies were hit top of the wall. Yeah. One of them was on the mesh above the wall on that little yeah. chain link fence that was we thought might have been a home run. So, I mean, he could easily have 30 right now, be one behind Schwarber the National League League, but he's got 28 homers, second in the league, leads the majors now in extra base hits with 56. But going into yesterday's game, he didn't get one yesterday, but going into yesterday's game, he was on pace to tie Hank Aaron's franchise record for extra base hits, 92. When you consider Hank is the all-time MLB leader in extra base hits, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he's going to have a fun uh Fun little trip through arbitration this year. Oh, man. <laughs> and then Olsen's right there with him with uh, extra base hits. And now, you know what everybody was saying early on? Yeah, Olsen's good, but he doesn't have Freddie's power. Olsen's he has got, more power. He's got more power than yeah. Freddie. He's more got raw 20 power home, for sure. Yeah. He's got 20 home runs now. When everybody was poo-pooing him early on when he's piling up doubles, well, those doubles now are homers. Yeah. The doubles pace is slowed, so he's not going to set the doubles record because he's hitting home runs now. It's going over the fence. Right. But he had 20 homers. He had his seventh in 12 games yesterday. Yeah. And he's got 54 extra base hits, so he's tied for second in the majors behind Austin Riley. <laughs> so those two guys are raking, man. He's tied with Jose Ramirez for second in the majors. Yeah, I mean, this offense, if Acuna gets going. Oh, my God. If they could get Acuna going. I mean, and then you get if you can get Ozzy back at anything for September. Yeah. You know, and then pick up somebody on the at the trade deadline to replace Duvall. All of a sudden, this offense could be like last year's when it was just rolling at the end of the season. Yeah, those games were so fun to last to watch last year when they were down yeah. four, and you're like, "Oh, they're winning." Yeah, yeah, and they were, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they, the bullpen just had to keep it 
and check close until the offense could come alive. But all right, well, it was good to see Dan. It was good to see Snit get his 500th win, and yeah. uh, and Dansby do the show champagne toast. The whole team there in the clubhouse afterwards. I was told it was obviously closed door. 500 wins. Didn't even start managing until. Um, Isn't that something, man? To think that he got that job as an interim just as a bone thrown to him because he'd been scapegoated in 2013 when they dropped him to the minors just to make a move on the coaching staff after that 13th season. Yep. Because he did not deserve to be dropped back to the minors. And he thought, that's it. I'm not going to manage in the majors. My dream's over, but I'm going to go ahead and go back to AAA. At least I get to live at home while I'm managing in AAA. Then he gets the call up to replace Freddie when he got fired in that May as an interim guy, strictly to get him through the year. And here he is, all these four division titles, a pennant, and a World Series championship, and 500 wins. That that speech he gave his first day, I'll never forget, because it was just so passionate and real. Yeah. Just a guy that had just had his heart ripped out by the game a million times. Yeah. And, and was telling us, you know, I know how hard this game is. Just the way he delivered it was like, I want to run through a wall for this guy. You know, I don't want this guy to lose. I don't want to be the reason this guy loses. You know, kind of that Bobby feel where you want to make him proud. Yeah. But that's one thing he does. And, I mean, you'll never see it. You'll never see him saying the guys. Even, you know, I saw some questions about Acuna's motivation the other day after the game. And, you know, I know, you know, Snit saw the play where he kind of, right. you know, he won't throw him under the bus. He will not do it. Absolutely and not. A lot of managers would, but he'll never do that. Nope. Nope. That's that's a guy that even even though he was even though he doesn't have that uh long term stability that Bobby had or whatever, this is a guy that's still comfortable in his own skin and and he has a great relationship with his GM. Yep. So he knows he doesn't have to cast blame and point the fingers or make sure everybody knows it wasn't his fault and that it was actually this play. Well, he, he wants to do blame. That. He doesn't do that. He doesn't blame anybody. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. If you're a player, you really appreciate that too. You know, and if you're cool. a young player, if you're a Cunha, you might not really appreciate it yet, but you will. Another, another cool thing about him. You, you just never know when you're out of the game, if you're going to be able to get a hold of people and after they won the World Series, I waited a few days and I just text him, you know, a little paragraph, how happy I was for him. And he texts me back in 35 seconds. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. He's, he's never going to forget, you know, kind of where he came from. I mean, he's like, Bobby, you will not meet anybody in the game. Not one person who will have something bad to say about Snit. Nope. And there's not more than a handful of people I've ever met in the game that you can say that about, that nobody will say anything bad about him. That'd be the easiest litmus test of all time. <laughs> yeah. If you've got something bad to say about Snit, I don't need you in my life. Yeah. I mean, even players that might have got cut, you know, that the Braves might have released when he was – because he had to be a tough guy. You know, he's a minor league player development, yeah. you know, managing in the minors. He had to tell guys, you're not good enough to be here. You're gone. But everybody loves the guy. So It's the way he does it, you know, being honest about it. And, and you really get that feel that, you know, some managers, I mean, it's almost like a, a robot cutting you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're not doing well, so we're sending you down to AAA. They just want to get it over with, shake your hand. I mean, he looks yep. you in the eye and tells you, you know, I love you, but yeah, you got to be honest with yourself here. You're struggling, and we need to make a move. We're trying to win. You're going to be back. He, uh, th- but Dansby's quote was great afterwards. I asked him, uh, you know, about what what was said, and he said. Uh, actually, he was asked, what is Snit's best attribute? And he said, he allows everyone to be themselves. 
there's definitely standards in this organization that we all feel we need to uphold and everything like that. But he definitely kind of creates that box that you can play in and allows you to just be you. And he makes everything about winning, just like we do. He said, it's a team thing. We're here together as much as we are with our own family. So this is our family. We're all blessed to be here. And whenever certain guys get to certain milestones that need to be celebrated, it's worth celebrating because it's yeah. not just an everyday thing. People don't just roll out of bed and accomplish the things that guys in this locker room have or the coaching staff or whoever, the trainers. We're all after the same thing. And like I said, we're so thankful to be a part of this together. But Snit said, Snit was great afterwards. Snit said he actually had forgotten about it until Kelly Cruel grabbed him for the TV interview when he's coming off. That's typical. He said, and afterwards he said, I'm I'm honored. I'm blessed. He goes, it's a great group of guys to be a part of. I wasn't expecting that toast. He goes, but it's nice. I'm proud to be here and all, and I've done it all here too with the Braves. He goes, this is my home. And Dansby did the toast. Dansby said, I asked him about 500 wins and Dansby said, it's just amazing. He goes, just the career and the career path that he's had. I feel like he said, he served his purpose and his role for this organization for so long and to be able to be rewarded in the way that he is right now is so cool because we're so blessed to be a part of it. That's what we tried to share with him, how much we appreciate him and love him and how we wouldn't be here without his belief in us. It's an awesome moment to be able to celebrate with him. Yeah. I wish I was a part of that. Love that guy. I mean, 46 years in one organization and you got screwed by the previous (laughs) Front, two front offices ago when he got scapegoated and he could have been angry and gone to another organization at that point, done the same job in another organization and hoped that maybe they would get him a chance to manage in big leagues. But he didn't say a word, not publicly. He was angry, but he just went down there and did his best job he could managing the AAA team for another four years. It's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, at age 57. Yeah. Um, Strider was pretty cool. I asked him because he got the win and Snit's 500th win. He was the pitcher. And he said, he goes, I'm, I'm young. So I remember coming to Braves games and watching, seeing him in the dugout. Now I'm here and I got to be a part of a big win for him. I'm very grateful that I got to do that. And, uh, he was asked what, what about Snit biggest, best attribute. He said he was the big reason for the turnaround this year. He goes early on, we were scuffling. There was never any panic. It was just, you know that he's at the helm and he's confident and there's no reason we shouldn't be as well. Yeah, it's been huge for me as a young guy and I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. He could have, and a lot of coaches would. You know, I mean, you see so many coaches have something bad happen to them in an organization and, you know, they go somewhere else and start bad mouth in the last place. He just took it on the chin and kept trucking. Yeah. It's good karma to do that. Yeah, he said he figured that dream was over when he went back down to the minors, that he wasn't going to manage it. If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. But uh, it was pretty cool to be able to experience this uh, or the All-Star game last week because he everything he gets to do, like the World Series, he just he doesn't try to act cool about it. He just talks about, I never dreamed of this. This is incredible. And he gets to manage in the World Series with his son on the other dugout, you know, as a co-hitting coach. And then he gets to – Gotta feel and fake. then he gets to manage in the all-star game with his son and the other dugout on dusty staff. So, and he's got the grandkids there at the all-star game and everything. So he's just getting to do all of this. It's almost like the baseball gods, good karma is paying him back in twofold, you know, for, for getting, you know, getting screwed before not getting a chance until he was so old. So he's getting to do everything, you know, that a lot of managers never yeah. get to do. Obviously most managers never get to do any of this. Yeah. But uh, he, he said, uh, 
said he spoke about what about his journey and what what's made this all so special. And he said the players. That was the first thing he said. He goes, yeah. it's the staff, the coaches, the players, the administrators, the people in the organization. He said, it's all about the people in this organization. I've said many times, I've been raised by Hall of Famers and really good people. There's a laundry list of guys, and a lot of them aren't here anymore, who were very influential in my career. He goes, it's always been about the quality of the players in the Atlanta Braves organization. The players, the people, like I say, the general managers, the directors, the scouts, the whole thing, man. It's It's been very, very special. He goes, it's a different place. I mean, if you're the Braves, yes. that's the guy you want speaking for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not just showing up and saying yeah. it. I mean, he's put the time yeah, in to say that. it means every word of it. And that's that's probably, I mean, if you could break it down the simplest way, is that every interaction you have with him feels yeah. real. And nothing feels scripted or like he's just getting right. through it. You know, he has time for everybody. He has time for the 25th man on the yep. roster. He looks his guys in the eyes. You have a bad game. You see him the next day. He treats you exactly the same. It's just he does such a good job at just stabilizing the clubhouse and, and making every day feel like a fresh day. You know, it's nothing's getting held on to. And so many years, decades in the minor leagues as a player, then a coach, manager, manager at every level. I think that really gives him an appreciation, you know, and being a guy that never made it past double A. And it was so long. It wasn't just like two or three years. And then he has 20 years in the big leagues. He had 40 years in the minors you know, with a couple of coaching stints, uh, big league, but basically more than three and a half decades in minor league baseball that that's yeah. imprinted in his brain. So he never forgets how special. And that was the first thing he said. He said, I'll never forget how hard this game is. I'll never forget. And you feel like a lot of guys do, you know, you feel like a lot of coaches and managers, they just, they lose touch with what a difficult game they're watching because they get to see the best in the world do it every day. But Nothing will humble you like that minor league yeah. grind, not making it as a player. You know, I mean, he was in that minor league grind watching guys. You're seeing way more careers fall apart and fail than you are succeed. You get to the majors and it's polar opposite. He's never let go and of that. He took so many bus rides, man, in the minors and so many and, and so many crappy ballparks and offices and clubhouses that he does not take anything for granted. As He's been up here six years now, seven years, and he still marvels at how nice a hotel is. He'll go, is that one we're yeah. in this year in Philly? Oh, my God. He's still like, he's you know, he still appreciates every day in the big leagues. He knows how special yeah. it is. He doesn't like forget. And it's so hard to maintain yeah. that. And he does. Every bit of it. So, it's pretty cool. All right. We'll do this again after uh, this D-back series this weekend. We appreciate you guys watching. And uh, could be, I would expect uh, definitely happen a trade or two to happen before the deadline. And don't be surprised if it happens in the next day or two. But you just never know with Alex. I want to see where Soto goes. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, man. I want to see what the what the return is. It's going to be big. <laughs> All, right, All right, 755 is real. We are out. See y'all.